Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Rusty Quill presents. Greetings, Meltopians. We just wanted to inform you that while we are on a brief hiatus after Season 2 of The Sleep-Wake Cycle, we still have content to offer you until Season 3 of the Sleep-Wake Cycle is released. Over the next few weeks, we will be offering stories from our shows The Lost Library and Tales of Maltopia. Season 3 of the Sleep-Wake Cycle will return in early October. Thank you again for all your support, and enjoy. It didn't make sense. None of it did. Impossible was a word Greg used cautiously, especially post-darkness. It had become sort of a dirty word. For many, it was a provocation, a direct challenge to evil, no different than chanting Bloody Mary three times in a mirror or refusing to hold your breath while passing a cemetery. But there were few other words he could use to describe what he was looking at. It was too solid, too extant, to be an artifact of shutter speed 
or image noise from bad ISO settings. Even if it was, it would show up only in one or maybe a few of the photographs. But it was in every single picture, always in the same location, always possessing the same features. And yet, if he were to go outside right now, he would look out across the city and see a normal New York skyline. Greg stepped back from the developing bins. Fifteen alternate realities floated in little trap ponds in front of him. Several more hung from clothespins, dangling like forbidden fruit. He plucked one from the line and looked at it. There was a vagueness to the mysterious building in the photograph, a sort of dusky aura that blurred its finer details. It was a skyscraper, to be sure, but its exact characteristics, its architectural pedigree, was lost beneath the haze. It wasn't a surprise. The supernatural wasn't known for being photogenic. Its size was less ambiguous, however. It loomed above the rest of the high-rises, its top scraping against a layer of clouds above. Like Greg, its neighbors regarded it with caution, shrinking from the gloomy thing. He pictured the windowed eyes of the other buildings wincing, trying to shutter out as much of its presence as possible. He wished he could do the same, but his eyes couldn't escape it. He kept trying to reconfigure it, look at it in a way where its presence was merely the coincidental alignment of other objects, like a face seen in a tangle of branches or clouds resembling the shape of a dog. But every attempt failed. He knew it would. If the darkness had taught humanity anything, it was that the universe wasn't beholden to its expectations. Craig hung the photograph back up and continued to develop the remaining images. When he was finished, he placed the developed pictures into a binder and then shoved it into his large green backpack. Then he stopped. A part of him felt off about bringing the photos home. He contemplated leaving them behind, abandoning them to the red-lit world they were born in. It wasn't an unreasonable compulsion. After all, there was a reason the world had shunned the ghostly building banished it to the outskirts of reality. He worried taking them could taint the world, like the tower would break free from its laminate prison and gain corporeal footing somehow, become just another patch of darkness in an ever-dimming world. He pushed the thought out of his head. Greg grabbed his bag and flipped the switch next to the exit, surrendering the room back to blackness. Outside, the sun was sinking into the ocean, bloodying the water with its last rays of light. It was a beautiful scene, one that could fetch him some quick cash. Good ocean sunsets were a sure sell in Greg's line of work. There was always someone looking to put it on their wall or print a cheesy zen adage across it. Greg reached into his bag and grabbed his digital camera. He walked a bit down the street until he reached the nearby park, adjusting the settings on his cannon as he went. When he finally reached its edge, stopping at a railing separating the park's walking trail and the ocean, he focused his sight on the fleeting dusk. Being behind a camera was like accessing the settings of the world, where he could modify its details with a few twists and turns, tune its vibrancy with a click, or hewn its edges with a simple press of a button. He imagined it was like seeing through the eyes of God, changing the world as you please. Within seconds, Greg snapped off a flurry of photos. The red shimmer of the water and the falling sun supplying it were easy subjects. But just as he was about to finish up, 
he noticed something. Below his area of focus teased something out of place. Strange. He quickly readjusted. A gasp escaped his lips. On the surface of the water was a rippling image of the city. New York's tallest structures, which stood high and massive behind Greg, were reflecting off the ocean's glassy surface. However, between two of the mirrored buildings loomed, like some ghostly apparition, the skyscraper he captured earlier in the day. Greg quickly lowered his camera and looked behind him. Nothing. Only the familiar city he'd lived in for years. He looked back at the water, but found that the building was curiously, but appropriately, absent. Puzzled, he replaced the camera to his eyes and looked again at the city's watery reflection. The phantom building practically smiled at him, boldly rebelling against reason and the reality it was predicated on. A song of blood rushed through Greg's ears, replacing the static of cars, voices, and ocean with the rhythmic beat of his racing heart. His hands shook as they switched back and forth between his camera lens and his own eyes, the world cycling between real and unreal, sane and insane. He was starting to wonder which was which. Greg's fingers trembled when he finally snapped a picture of the city's alternate reflection. Somewhere within the little rooms of his camera, he knew the ghostly building was wandering, haunting thousands of ones and zeros and compelling them to rebuild it. A familiar thought entered his head. He wondered if he should throw his camera in the water, abandon it to the depths. The phantom building could live at the bottom of the sea, entombed in a metal and binary code coffin. Greg knew he wouldn't do it, though. In truth, his fear was outweighed by intrigue. A large part of him couldn't wait to go home and exercise the image from his camera, study it in detail, and unravel its mystery. He was shaking with excitement more than he was fear. That's why the photos in his bag weren't left to drown in the developing bins, or why his hand was slowly placing his digital camera back into its satchel. The spectral thing had captured him as much as he had captured it. Before he knew it, the son Greg had come to photograph was gone. The night followed him back to his car, slowly erasing the world around him. The street lamps afforded him a path, however creating a dim yellowed lane for him to travel. He followed it, silently passing rows of parked cars and cramped apartment buildings. The monotony of his walk caused his mind to drift, to wander beyond the circumscribed route in front of him and into the shunned blackness to his periphery. It made him wonder if there was truly anything beyond the lit world, or if those spaces simply shut off when no one was looking. Or more terrifyingly yet, were occupied by other things. Perhaps that's what he had captured earlier, in other that had overstayed its welcome, like ghosts that only show up in photographs or the hairy monsters that appear in blurry, out-of-focus videos. When he arrived at his car, a modest blue compact running well beyond its ears, he threw his backpack into its back seat and started the aging thing. Driving to a more modest part of the city, the street lamps abandoned him to his high beams, leaving a constant swell of darkness to tail him all the way home. He never minded the company before. He enjoyed it. There was a calm to its emptiness, an illusion that the rest of the world had fallen away, and it was only him and the road ahead. But now he was weary of his passenger, skeptical of its vacancy. He wondered what it was withholding, 
wondering if he were to snap its picture if it might reveal more than it had let on. Craig's foot pressed harder against the gas pedal. When Greg arrived home, a humble one-bedroom stuffed between other barely inhabitable shoeboxes, he immediately printed the pictures from his digital camera and compared them to his film shots. They were identical as far as the skyscraper in question was concerned. They even shared the same blurriness, as if the part of the photograph containing the ghostly structure was always slightly out of focus. Scrutinizing the photos further, he could see that some of the blurriness was due to a cloudy mire surrounding the building, small black particulates that hovered around it, obscuring its details. The structure itself was black, and Greg wondered if they might not just be pieces of the thing itself flaking off, a building shedding its skin. Greg pored over the photographs for hours, extracting as much as they were willing to confess. As far as he could tell, the architecture was vaguely gothic, but also contained more contemporary, postmodern elements. For instance, while many skyscrapers had spires, this one's was more ornate, one you'd be more likely to see on a 15th century church than a downtown New York high-rise. And while the body of the building shared the minimalist fashion of its close neighbors, there were gothic nuances peppered in, like archivolts, towers, and even rose windows. Greg imagined it would be a fantastic subject for a photo shoot, if it was a real place, that is. After exhausting all his options with the photos, he moved over to his computer, which sat atop a cheap particle board desk festooned with empty soda cans, fast food bags, and scribbled on post-it notes. He sat down and swiped some of the debris from his workspace, donating it to a half-full wastebasket below, and started typing into the search bar on his screen. At first, nothing came up. Searches like Unknown Building New York or New York Ghost Building just brought up websites listing supposedly haunted places in the city. It wasn't until he typed in Invisible Skyscraper that something caught his eye. Scrolling down the screen, he saw a webpage called The Night Scraper. He wouldn't even have noticed it if it weren't for the thumbnail accompanying it, an image of a midnight shaded building identical to the one in his photos. He immediately clicked on the link. He was brought to a relatively sparse webpage, one that lacked the hokey flair of other sites of its kind. The text lacked its usual decorative font, and there was no cheesy music to greet his arrival, no tacky graphics. Instead, there was just a plain black title and a heading underneath that read, Have you seen the Night Scraper? He was grateful for the site's plain appearance, as it made him feel less crazy, less self-conscious about scouring the internet for phantoms and boogeymen buildings. Reading the page's description, he quickly realized why the phantom building didn't show up in his previous searches. It wasn't specific to New York. It was elusive, popping up in random cities for only short periods of time, never being seen with the naked eye, but always indirectly, like through a photo or video recording. As for the nature of the thing, it was purely speculative. Some believed it was from a parallel universe, transiently phasing in and out between our world and another while others linked it to the great darkness of 1999, theorizing it was part of some broken kind of physics. None of the explanations sounded particularly convincing, though. 
Part of that was on account of there being no real science behind the claims. Just a bunch of tossed around buzzwords and some overused sci-fi plots. The other problem was with the existence of the tower itself. Any attempt to assign causality to something so absurd must itself, by virtue of its product, be absurd. But such was the nature of the paranormal, he supposed. He would have to take what he could get. Clicking on a link called Reports, Greg pored over sightings of the so-called Night Scraper. There were hundreds of them. For almost two decades, the ghostly building appeared all over the world. Chicago, Athens, Bangladesh, Tokyo, anywhere there was a large city. But as he continued to read through the accounts, he noticed a peculiar consistency among the stories. Any attempt to get close to the building resulted in it appearing somewhere else in the city, as if it was avoiding contact. People tried reaching it in all sorts of different ways, walking, driving, taking public transportation. One wealthy individual claimed to have even flown his personal plane towards the thing. But in each instance, the night scraper refused visitation, always putting distance between it and its prospective guests. It appeared that the ethereal skyscraper, like so many of its supernatural brethren, was shyer than it let on. Another pot of coffee got Greg through a couple more accounts, but sleep eventually overcame obsession and dragged him to the bedroom. Like the rest of his apartment, it was a mess. It was an apt metaphor for his life, scattered, aimless, abandoned. Besides the rote of his life's most essential obligations, eating, sleeping, working, Greg lacked anything resembling a life. Rather, he simply existed. Occasionally, a warm body would find its way into his bed, but it would just as quickly find its way out, leaving the other half of his mattress to resume its customary coldness. He didn't have many friends, either, aside from a few people he would see at art shows and galleries, but their conversations together were always superficial, merely lexical masks he donned to convince others they were talking to a human being. His aspirations were equally unformed, While he had certainly always wanted to pursue a career in photography, there was no lofty goal of becoming wealthy or famous as a result. In fact, he was surprisingly content with his borderline indigence. Photography was the only thing that mattered to him. It was a lone jewel standing on a pedestal in the middle of an empty house. Greg trudged over to his heavily pillowed king size and collapsed, falling asleep within seconds. It wasn't too long, however, before he woke up again. He wasn't exactly sure how much time had passed since he fell asleep, but the blinds were still dark without even a hint of light trying to slip through their slats, so he assumed it wasn't too long. He didn't mind, though. His throat was dry, and he was in desperate need of a drink. He sluggishly dragged himself from the soft mess of his bed, walked over to the door, and opened it. Greg froze. In front of him was a hallway, but not his hallway. His hallway was a straight and narrow path, hemmed in by cheap drywall and some of his favorite photographic art pieces. Lipstick on a pig, he supposed. But the corridor in front of him was meandering, winding. The walls were drab, gray, bedecked with a strange spiraling stencil work that danced across their face. Columns, sentries punctuated the snaking foyer, 
standing guard on each side of the many doors lining the hall. An antique chandelier drooped from the ceiling, painting the area in melancholy light, distilling shadows to play in its awful glow. Before Greg knew it, he was walking, his bare feet slapping softly against a cold marble floor. The silence of the place was thick, tangible, like a swamp he had to wade through. His silhouette seemed deeper here, too, a man-shaped abyss that swallowed the details of everything it crossed. It was as if the passive physics of the world had suddenly turned feral, ravenous. But those considerations fell away almost immediately when he arrived at the first entrance in the hallway. The thing in front of Greg bore all the elements of a door. It had a knob, was made from the proper materials, even had an apartment number on its head panel. But the feeling in his stomach told him it wasn't. The thing seemed to breathe, its surface heaving ever so slightly like a pair of lungs. He could even hear the oaks sighing as each breath tested the limits of the wooden entry's strength. Greg was afraid, but his interest was piqued. His hand wrapped around the faux knob, twisted it, and then cautiously opened the thing that looked like a door. What Greg saw was not immediately explainable. It was an enclosure, to be sure, and its geometry roughly correlated with the concept of a room. But that's where the similarities ended. Where one would traditionally find a ceiling, floor, and walls, there was an expanse of gray and white tissue. Its surface was a chaos of lines, thousands of convolutions wandering like nomads across a drab, wet landscape. Parts of it would occasionally glow, flash, imparting to the space an evanescent kind of lighting. When he examined the stuff more closely, even laying a hand on its moist face, he became fairly certain it was brain matter. He couldn't be sure, of course, but the material was definitely organic and shared an uncanny resemblance to the human brain he once photographed for an esteemed science magazine. In the center of the room, strapped to what looked like a rusting dental chair, was a naked man. He was lanky, balding, and unremarkable in every way. The man's demeanor was no less bland, as his face was a blank page, empty of expression. But where the man himself lacked an intrigue, his circumstances did not. Coming from the man's right temple was a confusion of electrical wires, a tangling of red, yellow, and white cables that stretched out and into a large TV. On it was a grainy video, a first-person tour of a darkened house. The person filming simply roamed room to room, wandering like some wispy phantom through a quaint middle-class home. Greg watched as the videographer slowly traveled through the house moonlight seeping through its windows and inviting the black doppelgangers of couches, chairs, and other objects to play across the walls. It was only when the camera focused on a nearby staircase that Greg noticed some photographs. The framed memories were staggered, and all of them contained the same smiling family, a woman, two young girls, and a man. While the woman and two girls were strangers to him, Greg immediately recognized the man. He was sitting only six feet from him, strapped to a corroded and uncomfortable-looking chair. A sudden noise drew Greg's attention to the back of the room. Three loitering shapes came into view, but just barely. They were visible via the faint glow of the television screen, 
and the chattering synapses sparking across the ceiling and walls. The intermittent light caused the figures to flash in and out of existence, strobe lighting three squatting individuals, tightly wrapped in straitjackets. Each were crowned with a mop of greasy hair, which dangled in knots over a tumultuous landscape of smiles turning into frowns, turning into screams. Like the man at the center of the room, they each had wires spilling out from their heads. In fact, all three of them were connected. Each one's wires traveled into their neighbor's skull, backwards and forwards, creating a deranged kind of circuit. However, the madman on the far right had a separate set of cables tumbling out from his temple, which spilled out somewhere into the dark. Greg traced their faint outline until, to his surprise, they ended in the grasp of a large, pale hand. The man holding the wires was tall and unusually gaunt, and he confidently donned a ruined straitjacket that allowed his limbs a freedom his compatriots lacked. His eyes were merely peepholes into the insane world that surely spun behind them. Greg tried to make out his face, but it was difficult to discern, blurry almost. It was as if his possessed madness couldn't accommodate the stability of solid features, melting them into a fluid, barely perceptible chaos. Carrying the bundle of cables, the free but straight-jacketed stranger skulked to the front of the room and loomed over the individual in the chair. He fit a long brass jack onto the terminus of the wires and then, with little to no grace, jammed it through the chair-bound man's left temple. The trapped man barely flinched. The lunatic jostled the wires a little bit, apparently unsure if they were secure, and then, when satisfied, turned his attention to the TV screen in the front of the room. Not knowing what else to do, Greg joined him. The videographer, who was one and the same as the gentleman in the chair, now walked up a carpeted flight of stairs. At first, there was no change in the tone of the video. It was just as uneventful as it previously was. But where the audio used to be nothing but a staticky din, occasionally disrupted by the moans of an aging house, other noises began to introduce themselves. They were subtle at first, fleeting, uttered words that hid somewhere between the borders of imaginary and real. But as the man reached the second level, a swarm of voices emerged. They were volatile, rampant, crowding the psychic space. The man's breath became heavy, trying not to choke on the laughs, shrieks, and whispers that polluted the air. The words and pleads became more and more sharp until, at last, they converged upon a single lethal point. Kill them. Greg watched the man grab a pair of scissors from a nearby bathroom and then loom over the bedside of his sleeping wife. Greg closed his eyes. Over the next few minutes, a ballad of shrieks, pleas, and tearing flesh haunted the otherwise sedate home. Tears pushed beyond Greg's closed eyelids when, a few minutes later, he heard the screams of two little girls. When silence finally reclaimed the room, he mustered the courage to look at the screen again, where he could see the man, drenched in blood, staring at himself in the mirror. The scissors lazily dangled from his fingers, almost dropping to the floor, and his skin was pale as if he too, like the rest of the now-deceased family, had been drained of blood. But perhaps most strange about the video was that it was still running, despite there being no evidence of the camera's presence. 
Both the murderous hands were to his sides, one barely holding on to the instrument of his family's demise, and the other empty and shaking. It was as if the granted view was simply the vantage of the man's own eyes, not the lens of a camera. The video feed cut and the scream became snowy noise. The wails of the murdered family still echoed in Greg's head, and they were beginning to scribble outside the lines of his memory. He tried to focus on something else. Greg turned towards the seated killer, and then his mad caretaker. The latter dug into his jacket and pulled out some tubing in an empty vial. With an almost frenetic grace, he removed the electrical cables from the restrained man's skull and quickly replaced it with one end of the plastic tubing. Semi-clear fluid ran along its length until it emptied into the vial the madman was carefully holding below it. The man in the chair, for his part, didn't flinch. Once the ampule was filled, the insane man corked it, replugged the rainbow of cords back into his subject's head, and then walked to a nearby table. There, he placed the vial into a small packing box and wrapped it with the care of a Christmas gift. When he was finished, he walked the parcel to the back of the room where a line of pneumatic tubes snaked up the walls and placed it in one labeled Distribution. The package shot up and was gone within seconds, a brief rush of air the only thing marking its exit. Feeling that whatever strange task he just observed was finished, Greg left the room. He continued down the labyrinthine hallway, passing door after door as he went, wondering what bizarre things might lie beyond them. Was every apartment the same, or did each one contain its own species of macabre theater? His imagination furnished the runes with all sorts of deranged spectacle, each containing living tableaus of things both weird and wonderful. They would make great set pieces for a photo shoot, he thought, nightmares that could be framed and hung in a gallery somewhere. In the distance, Greg noticed the faint glint of sunlight. It was sneaking in through a window. He hurried through the zigzagging corridor, eager to see if the world he knew was still there. When he arrived, a ruddy haze loomed outside. It was thick, murky, like a pond tainted by the runoff from an old factory its water red from rust and heavy metals. He could make out tall shapes in the distance, but the smog reduced everything to shadowy Rorschachs. Then, as if sensing Greg's frustration, the crimson mist suddenly retreated. In a sense, the view was nothing special. The city was as it always was. The same steel giants loomed over the same city blocks. The same pillars of smoke bloomed like ashen flowers from the same factory towers, and the same specks of humanity rambled about the same concrete terrain. All was well, except one thing. A couple blocks in front of him, he could see a familiar building. Its crumbling brick edifice and tenement-like veneer was unmistakable. And given his altitude, he could even make out the broken patio furniture littering Miss Sacone's balcony. It was Greg's apartment building. He was sure of it. Suddenly, Greg was back in his flat, staring out one of his living room windows. He noticed his camera in his hand, hanging to his side. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he didn't know whether he should. He'd been invited into a secret place, the dingy, smoke-filled back rooms of reality. 
but the burden of such a membership was unknowable. Peeking behind the veil may reveal nothing more but another banal layer of the world, atoms within atoms within atoms. Alternatively, he may discover that hidden behind everything is an engineered wickedness, worrying and toiling its way to some terrible end. There was simply no way to know. Despite the risks, Greg shakily brought the camera to his face and looked through the aperture. A couple hundred yards out, overshadowing its more stolid neighbors, was the night scraper. His finger trembled when he pushed the shutter button. The building was closer than the previous two times he'd seen it. Much closer. He could now see, in detail, the cyclone of ashy debris that tore around its body, making it look like a giant beehive surrounded by swarms of loyal tenants. The finer details of the building were more visible too, as he could see the asymmetries of postmodernism blend seamlessly with the untamed flourish of Gothic architecture, creating a strange chimera he'd never seen. But more than anything, he realized the structure's new proximity might provide the perfect vantage of his apartment building, or perhaps, at the right altitude, even supply a clear view of the shabby patio set living on Miss Sacone's terrace. When Greg looked at his phone, he almost collapsed. Earlier, he spent the morning convincing himself that the previous night's events were simply the product of a bad dream. It was a defendable thesis. The strange building he captured on his camera, together with his history of sleepwalking, was more than enough to give him nightmares. The rationalization got him through the morning. He put on his clothes, ate his breakfast, and even walked to the nearby subway, the whole time convinced the earth hadn't tumbled off its axis. But when the sound of a tinny bell rang from his pocket, his news app summoning his attention, the world began to tilt. Blazing across his phone's screen, a headline read, Man Slaughters Family in East Manhattan. The words weighed heavy, causing his stomach to plummet. His eyes speedily tracked down the screen, desperately searching for a detail that would allay his worst suspicions. But each sentence only confirmed them, coldly articulating the details of a murder he had watched only one night before on a large 42-inch TV. The onslaught continued, explaining how the killer claimed demons instructed him to sacrifice his loved ones. Greg couldn't help but remember the strange voices accompanying the video he had watched. Any hope that this was all some awful coincidence finally died when he saw an image of the alleged murderer a skinny, balding man that bore an uncanny resemblance to one he saw only hours before, strapped naked to a chair with wires spilling out of his head. Greg barely had time to process what he'd learned before the mechanical whine of an approaching train returned him to the subway. He immediately became suspicious of everything. He eyed the crowd around him, wondering if they weren't made of papier-mâché, wispy people-shaped cutouts moonlighting as humans. When the doors of the train opened, Greg stepped through and stood in the cramped spaces of the car, elbow to elbow with his fellow travelers. But despite their proximity, he knew they didn't occupy the same space. The distance between him and his peers spanned light years now, a terrible revelation the only way to bridge the gap. But even if he attempted to communicate his dark knowledge, he knew it would be misinterpreted, a garbled radio transmission lost in space. Similarly, 
Words from the surrounding crowd floated meaningless and empty, mere vocalizations giving definition to only the most superficial aspects of reality. Even the shape and colors of the boxcar and the world whizzing by outside its windows became tawdry fashioning, glittery veneers masking the unsightly truths resting beneath. He looked down at his satchel and thought about the camera within it. He was on the verge of tears. On the most basic level, the purpose of photography is preservation, to rescue a chosen moment from the perils of time. It is, or at least he believed it to be, an objective recollection unburdened by the faults of recall. The camera conserves what memory will eventually erode. Beyond that, however, he believed a camera could capture instances that our stream of consciousness would otherwise drown, quicksilver moments where the spirit of a thing is revealed, truthful and untainted. So many times he thought he had photographed something transcendent, a fleeting second where discarnate passions fed the shape of their corporeal prisons, breeding momentary collisions between substance and soul. He'd spent his life kidnapping such moments, trapping them in frames, keeping them in the captivity of stuffy, overpriced galleries. But now he realized he'd been duped, tricked into photographing depthless, sheeny baubles meant to dress, obscure even, the much darker thing adorning them. Greg could feel the once lone, polished jewel of his life begin to mire, threatening to tip from its now crumbling pedestal. Greg looked up from the floor as the train came to another halt. How many times had the train stopped since he got on? Normally, he would have been concerned, upset even. But now he could barely even remember where he was going. He didn't care. He could ride the rails forever. Everywhere led to the same nowhere. Greg panned around the metallic prison of the train. A man was standing in front of him, one that wasn't there before. He didn't remember seeing him come in, but that didn't mean anything. Effect was no longer beholden to the mandate of cause. He wondered if it ever was. A crop of brown hair was the only distinguishable feature Greg could make out of the new passenger. The rest of him was obscured by a large, unfurled newspaper, a rare sight in the age of digital consumption. Looking closer, he noticed the stranger didn't waver or even move in response to the train's jerking motions. He stood perfectly still. It was as if he was bound by a different physics, living outside the jurisdiction of Newtonian law. Greg moved closer. As if warning him, the man snapped his open newspaper more taut, a papery clack that briefly jolted his attention. Greg stopped. It was only after a few moments of puzzlement that he realized the passenger's action wasn't a warning, but a call for attention. He hadn't noticed it before, but the large periodical the man was holding displayed across its face in almost comically large, bold-type letters, a job advertisement. Photographer wanted, sick of taking pictures of the same old cliché sunsets, beaches, and palm trees, want to capture something of real substance, something beyond all this glittery mire, look no further, apply here. There was only a brief moment where Greg thought about the bizarre nature of the ad and how it was clearly not born from this or any other world he knew of. Since the moment he photographed that black skyscraper, he had been stranded in the fading dusk of this world and lit upon by the dawn of another. 
It was only now that he was truly beginning to accept the rays of the ladder and attempting to trace them to their source. Greg searched the rest of the strange advertisement for more details. The apply here line was particularly confusing. Where was here? Surely there were more details somewhere, perhaps on the other side of the newspaper. Having discarded the etiquette of his old world, Greg grabbed the top of the stranger's weekly and pulled it down, hoping to find another page that would reveal more information. The man didn't so much as flinch, and Greg was met with another grandiosely written message that simply said, Apply here. He ripped at the paper again. Apply here. And again. Apply here. Soon he was wildly tearing at an infinite regression of newsprint, each page donning the same two words. Nervous as outbursts had caught the attention of his fellow passengers, he looked around, not so much as a sideways glance. It was like he was invisible now, his actions obscured behind the veil of a more penumbral dimension. Greg pondered further the enigmatic ad. How could he apply? He thought back to his recent otherworldly experiences. He explored the midnight building that had stolen its way into his photos, perused its chimeric architecture, summoned memories of its chair-bound and straight-jacketed denizens. Then something dawned on him. With a nervous fervor, he rustled through his bag and pulled out his digital camera. The small device turned on, a high-pitched whine reporting its readiness. He took a deep breath, pointed the lens at the man holding the paper, and snapped a picture. The world became white, its details and color bleached by the flash. When his eyes recovered and the light dissipated, the occupants of the train were gone. Even the stranger with the newspaper had disappeared. It was as if the light evaporated them, blew them up into tiny pieces, and then swept their ashes out the many cracks meandering the subway cars. The train had stopped too, the blur of shapes and colors outside replaced by a gallery of cement platforms crumbling benches and graffiti-bedecked walls. He had arrived at another subway station. As to which one, he hadn't the foggiest idea. Rather than investigate his surroundings, his attention obeyed an inexplicable tugging, one that dragged his attention towards the LCD screen on the back of his camera. Instead of there being a large newspaper with the words apply here written across it, the scene he had most assuredly photographed he saw a large black arrow pointing to his right. No sooner did Greg see the image that the train's double doors hissed open, inviting him through. He hesitantly obliged. The emptiness of the station gave voice to the thinning rubber of his soles as he walked, his steps echoing down the throat of the subway tunnel. His mind briefly followed the sounds where he pictured them ending in the bubbling stomach of something monstrous. He shuddered for a moment and then continued. The place vacillated between oblivion and an abandoned subway station, the long fluorescent lights above him flickering, transporting him erratically between worlds. When he inhaled, the air seemed stale, ancient, like it hadn't been breathed for eons. He almost choked on the dust. In the leftmost corner of the depot, Greg found a stairway, the place's only exit. He slowly ascended the steps. Midway up, he looked back down from where he came. It was all black, as if it had never existed. 
He was reminded of the strange thoughts he used to have as a child, those questions that asked if the world still existed when we closed our eyes or didn't pay attention. He wondered now if he hadn't discovered the answer, and if he was lucky to have reached the stairs before something vast and incomprehensible had suddenly looked away. When Greg reached the top of the steps, he was greeted by a shabby elevator. He'd seen dozens of them in the subway before, none in such disrepair though. The thing looked like it hadn't been used in ages. To the sides of the steel doors, which were covered in dirt and rust, he noticed strange burn marks lining its frame. Intrigued, he took a closer look. Along its contours, he found what looked like layers of ash. He ran a finger across it. Plumes of black fleck rose from its surface, almost causing him to cough. He'd seen this before. Suddenly, he had no doubt where he was. Greg's finger eagerly pressed the button located to the elevator's side. The lonely thing suddenly glowed orange, and he could hear the arthritic whine of gears and cogs waking up, rusty metal things angry for their awakening. When the car arrived, he quickly entered, hoping against hope that the metal box he'd just stepped into wasn't a cleverly disguised coffin. To his left was a panel of barely intact call buttons. Unsurprisingly, the button that read 12 had an arrow pointing to it. The words, Press Me whimsically scrawled next to it. He obeyed the sharply written message and pushed the button, commanding the guts of the old elevator to churn once again. In contrast to the vehicle that had delivered him, the elevator doors opened into a sumptuous lobby. A large mahogany desk jutted out from the wall in front of him, its face a carven work of art ornate designs swirling and dancing from one side of it to the other. The rest of it seemed untouched, flawless in both craft and structure. There was no one behind the lavish thing, however, its bloom apparently gone to waste. Its only company was a myriad of scattered stationery and a silver call bell loitering upon its surface. Several sconces helped lift the more subtle features of the place, their soft amber light whispering across the room's gilded molding and revealing statuary stuffed in small wall niches. Greg slowly exited the squalor of the elevator, the clack of his shoes verifying a marble tile floor. He walked towards the desk and tapped the call bell firmly, its tingy voice singing down the hallways to both his left and right. Only echoes. He looked about, hoping to discover a signpost of some sort shuffling through the Rolodex and scheduler littering the desk's surface. Nothing. He looked again down the two corridors, wondering what she should go down. The obvious answer was neither. Any sensible person will go back down the elevator and try to find a way out. But the term sensible assumed the world made sense. That it conformed to the little blueprints in our heads, or the indecipherable formulas often jotted across professors' blackboards. Neither seemed to be correct, though, and Greg shuddered at the thought of what kind of Stygian physics would be necessary to explain his current predicament. Greg turned to his left and started down the hall, his choice reasonless, a random spark in his brain. The corridor was a bit more posh than the one he'd traveled the night before, and he wondered what kind of occupants merited such ritzy accommodations. Luckily, the rooms weren't shy. 
each one offering a glimpse of its contents via the small oval windows bedecking their doors. He accepted their invitation, peering into them as he went. Inside each was a laboratory, of sorts, antiseptic white rooms filled with research equipment. There was a sense of whimsy about them, however, like the various devices cluttering their spaces were merely props. He gathered this from the object's strange placement, centrifuges sitting on the floor, microtomes assembled wrong, histology slides taped to the wall, mockeries of methodologies, all. Beyond that, every room contained the same level of absurdity he witnessed the previous night, acts and scenes better fit for a fever dream than the confines of a chic flat. One room included a woman extracting a film reel from a man's skull and transplanting it into another's, the eyes and mouth of the recipient projecting a movie on the wall, a cinematic piece that saw the donee open up like a Russian nesting doll, releasing smaller versions of himself until there was nothing left. Another lab showed a group of straight-jacketed men and women with electrodes stuck to their heads, the wires extending out onto the skull of a woman holding a paintbrush and palette, scrawling barely comprehensible images across the wall. He passed many such rooms, until, at last, he came upon one whose door was open, another invitation. He entered, all hesitation now gone, buried dead with the old world it once belonged to. Inside was a straight-jacketed man sitting in a chair, facing the white abyss of a wall. His skull, like some of the others Greg had seen, was opened, resembling a tin can with its lid flipped up. Above him stared the glassy eye of a camera. It stood upon a tripod, looming above the lunatic's revealed brain. Greg carefully walked over. He slowly leaned down and looked into the viewfinder of the camera, not knowing what to expect. What he saw, however, was not the wet map of somebody's thoughts, but something far grander, far more inspiring. His eyes grew wide, a smile crossed his face, and the fevered sounds of a camera shutter clicking echoed down the hallway. Sean Kingsley strolled into his home, glad his day at the factory was finished. He tossed his bag of tools haphazardly in the corner, too tired to put them in their proper place. He knew his wife would complain, but he also knew she would relent, waiting only to scold him the next day when he forgot where his work stuff was. As he walked down the hallway, about to enter the living room to greet his family, something to his periphery gained his attention. He looked to his right, where a family portrait lived on the wood-paneled wall. It was different. How had he never noticed someone else staring out of his son's eyes, that his wife's smiling countenance was merely a cleverly molded mask draped over the face of someone, something, terrible? How had he mistaken the giant teeth in the background for snowy-peaked mountains, the millions of eyes above for a night sky? Mr. Kingsley turned back to where he had carelessly tossed his bag of tools. He extracted the hammer from the small canvas bag and walked back towards the living room, realizing his work was not yet done after all. Lindsay Faulkner couldn't stop staring at her classroom photo. There she was, 
standing amongst her second-grade class, ignorant of their afflictions, the wicked disease that had rendered them deformed and mad. She must have been in denial, unable to process the terrible reality that children were not always spared the perils of disease. But no more. A life of suffering was no life at all, not for a child. Mrs. Faulkner picked up the canister of gasoline at her side and finally mustered the will to enter the classroom, locking the door behind her. His friend Jared was lying this whole time, Danny thought to himself. His phone camera must have been special, contained a unique lens capable of seeing through the disguise. Or maybe Jared had let his guard down at just the right moment, allowing him to photograph his true nature. Either way, Danny could see that his supposed friend wasn't of this world, no doubt a foreign creature attempting to lull him into a false sense of security. The lake was only a mile away, and he had it on good authority that Jared couldn't swim. It was Danny's only chance to save himself, and perhaps the rest of the world. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.